If you have a Bible, take it out. Find Acts chapter 2. There is a handout in the bulletin. If you like to follow along with what we're going to talk about this morning, you can do that. I'm going to start by reading to you a few words from the Constitution of the United States of America. It says, The President shall from time to time give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Originally, presidents did this. They fulfilled this obligation by writing a report and literally sending it to the Congress. With the advent of the radio and especially with television, this has become a a major cultural event for Americans. And it plays out every January in something called the State of the Union Address. And you've probably seen one of these on television. Most major networks sort of block out the evening and they put this on television. And there's a lot of theatrics and fanfare as the president walks in. And there's a lot of applause. And it's always fascinating to me to watch the speech and to watch one side. It sort of shifts year to year. But one side sitting with their arms folded, scowling. And the other side applauding every moment that that the president says something they like and they sort of look at each other back and forth. And uh, it goes on back and forth. And my favorite part of the whole evening is when it's over, the newscaster will come on and give you the breakdown of speech versus applause. They'll say, okay, for this State of the Union, there was 40 minutes of speaking and 55 minutes of applause. And it's just this big sort of televised event This morning, I'm going to share with you not the State of the Union Address, but the State of the Church Address. Uh, In some churches, it may be best to do this on a Sunday evening. We don't typically meet on Sunday evenings. Uh, Some churches, it may be best to do something like this in a business meeting format. We don't have regular business meetings that would be conducive to that. And so what we've ended up doing is taking a Sunday morning at the beginning of each year just to sort of refocus and to think about where we are as a church and where we're headed as a church. And the way I've done it, I don't even like to take one Sunday out of every year. And so I've sort of alternated. On even number years, I go with the old school method and I write this and I put it in the newsletter and I hope that you're going to read it and pay some attention to it. On odd number years, we take the first Sunday of every year, and we just do things a little bit differently, right? A normal Sunday, we gather in this room, and we sing together, and then I say, open your Bible to this passage, and we spend the rest of our morning really digging into the text, and then we sing in response, and we head our our separate ways. We're going to do all those things. We've gathered together, we've sung, and we're going to look at the Scripture, and we're going to talk about a passage in Acts chapter 2, but I also want us to just take a moment, just one Sunday at the beginning of the year, to reflect on who we are as a church and where we're headed. For some of you, this is old news. Some of you have been around a lot longer than I have. Some of you have been here the entire time I've been here. Some of you, this may be your very first Sunday. And you just need to know, this isn't a normal Sunday. We do this very, very rarely. But it is going to give you sort of a window into who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church. Now, before we get specific about Emmanuel, I want you to look in the Scriptures at Acts chapter 2. And I just want to think... Big picture, before we talk about our church, let's talk about the church, right? Before we talk about specifics about what's going on here, let's think about the big picture of what ought to be going on at every church. And so look in your Bible at Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to read Acts 2, 42 to 47. The Word of God says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is Luke giving us a description of what happened, of what was going on in the early church right after the day of Pentecost. So if you're tracing through the book of Acts, you know that Jesus has has been raised from the dead. He's ascended back to heaven. He's left his disciples, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit on his people. And this little small, ragtag, sort of insignificant bunch of disciples, in one day, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, in one day it balloons or it explodes into a church of 3,000 people. And Luke immediately stops And he's just describing what it was like to be part of that church. Now look, it was not a perfect church. You keep reading in the book of Acts, you realize they had issues. They had sin issues. They had lots of different problems. But Luke is sort of giving you a big picture to say this is the template right from the get-go. And I just want you to, to look at the text and think through a few of these issues with me. The earliest Christians were devoted to five practices. Five practices, and I put them up on the screen, and I put them on your handout. Number one, they were devoted to worship. They were people committed to worship. Look at verse 42. It says that they were devoted to the prayers. Not just prayer in general. Not just that when they went home, they prayed every morning, every evening, and before every meal. But they were devoted together to the prayers, to praying together as God's people. Look at verse 47. It says they were praising God. That's something that they did together. Now, if you come on a regular basis to our church, one of the things we talk about pretty regularly is worship and the idea that worship is not just what happens in this room, but worship is anything you do in your life that brings honor and glory to God. It has to extend out of the quote-unquote worship center. It has to go with you. However, it most certainly includes what we do in this room. It most certainly includes what we do when we gather together and we do the same thing. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Every Sunday, we sing praises to God over and over and over again. Why? Because that's one of the things that God wants his people to do. And you see that in Acts chapter 2. Secondly, they were committed to discipleship. Discipleship. Luke tells us in verse 42, right out of the gate, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you like to make notes in your Bible, I think you ought to go right out in the margin by that phrase, and you ought to write Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. And you ought to connect those two things together. Because do you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? He said, go make what? Disciples. And how do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And when you do those things, making disciples by baptizing them and teaching them, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Luke picks up. Right here, the first description of the first church, and he says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why did they do that? It's because Jesus commanded them to do it. Make disciples. 
by teaching the people to obey everything that they've been commanded. So worship, discipleship, number three, fellowship. Fellowship. Look at verse 42. It just uses the word in verse 42. They were devoted not just to the apostles' teaching but also to fellowship. It says in 42 and 47 that they were breaking bread together. And there's a camp of Bible scholars that say that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. And there's a camp of scholars that says that was dinner. Either way, they were doing it together. Right? It wasn't just individuals living their lives out in isolation, but they were doing these things together. Verse 44 and 46 just says it very plainly. They were together. Together. Look, one of the great tragedies in American Christianity is the, the consumerism that has infiltrated so many churches where you just come and you consume a religious spiritual product and then you go and you don't have any connection with the people. Right? That's not who the early church was and that's not who we want to be. These people were together. They spent time together. They did things together. They locked arms shoulder to shoulder and they had a shared mission. That's really the heart of fellowship, right? Get the potluck and the casserole out of your brain. We like that as Baptists. But the real heart of fellowship is the idea that we have a shared mission. We're in it together, right? Think about Tolkien and he writes this book and he says the first book is going to be called The Fellowship of the Ring. It wasn't that they got together and had a potluck. They had a mission, Right? They had a, a task, something to accomplish, and that's what Luke is telling us. They're committed to worship. They're committed to discipleship. They're committed to fellowship. Number four, they're committed to ministry. Ministry. Don't miss the, the big idea behind the specific. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What are they doing? They're meeting needs. They're looking around and they're saying, there's an issue here. There's someone that needs help. There's, there's a way that we could step in and be a blessing to somebody. And they're willing to leverage their talents and their resources and their time and their abilities and anything that they have. They don't think anything belongs to themselves, but they realize they're stewards. And they say, we're going to give these things up so that we can minister and be a blessing to other people. They're committed to ministry. Rome didn't make them do it. Rome didn't say, sell your possessions and give it to somebody else. Peter didn't make them do it. He didn't say, okay, turn over the deed to your land. They just did it, right? In the togetherness and in the worship and in everything that was happening as they're being formed into disciples, they're also ministering to each other. And number five, evangelism. Verse 46 says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord did that. They couldn't do that. They couldn't convince anybody of the truth of the gospel. They couldn't change anybody's heart. But the Lord added to their number as they gathered for worship, as they were intentional about discipleship, as they sent the church body out into Jerusalem to minister to people and to be salt and light. The Lord was faithful, and he added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke's given you a blueprint Right? This wasn't a perfect church, but he's saying right out of the gate, these people got some things right. This is how God wants his people to live together in church family. And notice what he doesn't say anything about. Notice what he doesn't mention. He doesn't say anything about the color of the carpet. He doesn't mention the style of music. He doesn't talk about what kind of clothes they wore when they met together. He doesn't say that this was the schedule that they followed or these are the, the specific programs. They had Awanas. 
or they had mission friends, or they had this specific thing. He doesn't say anything about entertainment, about how good they could perform, or how funny Peter was, or any of this stuff. He doesn't say anything about buildings or places. He just says this was the church, and these were the things that they were committed to. Worship, and discipleship, and fellowship, and ministry, and evangelism. If you've joined our church recently, you've come to our plugged-in class, you know that one of the things we do when we, when we receive new members is we set before you a membership covenant. And that covenant just says, here's our expectation of you. This is what you're committing to as a member of our church. That covenant has five sections. Those are them. Right? When you join our church, we're asking you to commit to these things. We didn't just pull these things out of the air. We didn't just say, well, this would, this would make for good you know, job description of a church member. But we're looking at the scripture and we're saying, this is what they were committed to. This is what we want to be committed to. We as a church, we want to be committed to worship and discipleship and fellowship and ministry and evangelism. These are the things that we want to matter here at Emmanuel. Now that's sort of big picture in all churches, right? All true Bible teaching, God-honoring churches should be able to agree on those things. To make it just a little more specific... One of the things we talk about here is our vision statement is the idea that we believe God is with us for his glory, for the world, for Odessa, Texas, our city, and for you. Right? That's starting to get a little more specific. And that's a, a special statement to us because the name of our church is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we sort of reflect and say, well, what does it mean that God's with us? And we add all this together and we say, well, we think God is with us, number one, to bring him glory. It's not mostly about us. What happens in this room is not mostly about us. It's about God. And we believe that God wants to use us to reach the entire world. And right across the street, we, we believe God wants to use us to make a difference here. And we believe that God is with us for your good. You're on the list too. You come forth, but you made the list. Right? God wants to grow you. He wants you to be a disciple. He wants, he wants to use you to be a blessing to other people here and in Odessa and all around the world. Now, that's sort of a special statement to us, but can we just be honest? There's a whole lot of churches in town that could slap that on their bulletin, and they would say, well, we want to bring glory to God. We want to reach the world for Jesus, and we want to make a difference in Odessa, and we want to invest in other people. Lots of churches could agree with that. And so we begin to, to think even further and to be more specific, and we say, what does this look like here? Right? These are still sort of big, broad, biblical ideas. What does it look like here? And I want to share with you something this morning, something that we've added to our new member class, our plugged-in class. It's the idea that we at Emmanuel want to be a sending church. We want to be a sending church. And I just want to give you a list of things that we want to send as a church. Number one, we want to send members. You. Every Sunday, when we say the last amen or we sing the last note or we give the last applause or whatever you want to say at the end of the service, and you leave this place, we want to do it with the mindset that we are sending you. That your Christianity doesn't get checked at this door, but that it goes with you. And that wherever you are, in your home, in your place of employment, or a place where you go to school, or your neighborhood, that you are going to be salt and light. We want to send you out to make a difference. 
And can we be honest about living in Odessa, Texas? One of the realities living here is that people leave a lot. They come and they go, and sometimes they don't stay very long. And we want to be mindful of that. When somebody comes to our church, I want to have the mindset, and I want you to have the mindset, they might be gone in a month. They might be gone in six months. They might be here in 10 years, and we might wish they were gone. But a lot of them are going to go. And if they're going to go, we want to send them out. When they move to a new town and join a new church, we want them to be salt and light there. We want them to serve there. We want them to be leaders there. We may lose people, but we want to send them out equipped to make a difference for the kingdom. So we want to send members. Number two, we want to send missionaries. We want to send missionaries. We want you to go. We want you to go. That's why every year we give you multiple opportunities to go. And we realize not everyone is going to go every year. Not everyone is going to go to every mission opportunity that we set before you. You may be in a stage of life where that's very, very difficult for you. You may be in the stage of life where you're going to help someone else go financially, but we want to send people. We want you to actually go. We don't want missions just to be something that we talk about and we write a check and we drop it in the box and we say, okay, well, I'm glad we're done with that. But we want to go and we want to do it. And here's the thing. Most of you who go are going to come back, right? We're talking short-term trips. My prayer is that some of you go and stay. My prayer is that God would raise up people out of our church who say, you know what, I'm going and I'm not coming back. I'm going to go plant my life in this place where people don't need Jesus, and I'm going to stay, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to start a church, and I'm going to stay until that job is done. We want people to go. That's a scary thought for parents and grandparents. You say, yeah, we want that, but not my kids or not my grandkids. Somebody else's kids or grandkids. It's painful to lose people, to see people go out, but that's what we're here to do, right? To bring God the most glory, glory where he's not currently receiving it, among people who have never heard the name of Jesus, to make a difference not just in Odessa but all the way around the world. If that's going to happen, we have to go and we need our people to go. So we want to send missionaries. And number three, related to that, we want to send ministers. Ministers. Some of you are aware of this, and some of you are not aware of this, but over the last four or five years, the Lord has sent a remarkable number of people for a church of our size, a remarkable number of people to our church who formerly were involved vocationally in ministry. They worked at a church somewhere. That may be complete news to you. You may have no idea about that, but the Lord has sent a number of those people our way. Some of those people have sort of passed through a stop along the way, and they've, they've gone back into ministry. Some of those people are still here, and they're serving the Lord in various ways in our church. But this is what I'm saying to you, right? We want to send missionaries and members. I want to be able to look up in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years, and I want to be able to point to that church and that church and that people group overseas and this nation overseas. And I want to say those people who went out, those people who were serving in those places, they were our people. Not so that we can pat ourselves in the back and feel good about ourselves, but so that we can say that's what God wants from his church, that we would be people who send the gospel, who send people out as missionaries and as ministers. 
And I hope we look back in a decade or a decade and a half or two decades and we can look all across the state, all across the world, and we can say those people used to be here. They're part of us. They're still one of us. But we've sent them out with the good news of Jesus to make disciples in other places. So we want to send members. We want to send missionaries. We want to send ministers. Number four, we want to send money. Money. We just read about this early church. They leveraged their resources to make a difference for the kingdom. And in this time, in this place, in this economy, what they did is they sold their stuff and they gave to those who needed it. I'm not suggesting we need to have a monthly garage sale out on the front parking lot. I'm just saying we want to be people who realize our money is not ours. God's entrusted it to us. And he didn't entrust it to us just so that we could live high on the hog. He entrusted it to us so that we could give sacrificially and be a blessing to other people. We want to be a sending church. Now, I just want to be honest with you for a minute. right? Let me just turn a little bit of a corner this morning. I want to talk to you about where we're at now and where we're headed in the upcoming year. I just want you to know, honestly, I love pastoring this church. I love it. Do you remember, I was thinking about this this morning. you remember when you were in third grade and you went all the way through third grade? Any of you in third grade right now? A few of you in third grade. So you remember, you're in third grade. Third grade teachers yell a lot, right? You're not very smart when you're in the third grade, no offense. And the teacher, they got to get on you and they got to stay on you. And you think, man, I'm never going to make it through third grade. But then you come to the end of the third grade It's like the last week of school, you're watching movies and you're doing that kind of stuff. And your mean, grouchy teacher walks in and she's got a little lump in her throat. And she looks at you and she says, I'm going to miss you guys. You're my favorite class ever. I love you guys more than any third grade class. You're the best third grade class I've ever had. I'm telling you this morning, you're the best church I've ever had. And you're like, "Ah, the teacher said that every year. Every pastor says that. Yes, they do. But... I mean it. I love pastoring this church, and I'm excited about the things that God is doing in our church and the things that God is doing through our church. I just want to mention a couple of those things. And listen, I'm not just saying this to pat you on the back and say, you guys are the best, and hooray for us. We're number one. It's a good thing God has us on his team. I'm saying the things I'm about to say to you because I look at these things. I don't see them as reason to pat you or me on the back. I see them as reason to say, those things are evidence that God is at work in us. We have not arrived, and we are not a perfect church. But God is at work in us, and he's doing good things among us. And so I want to mention a couple of those things. Number one, I look at our church, and one of the things I see is generosity. I see people who are incredibly generous. And we could talk about time, or we could talk about talents. I'm just thinking right now about money. Right? In, the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the Corinthians and he makes a connection between an experience of God's grace and you being a generous person. And the Apostle Paul says those two things are connected. He talks about people who give generously and he says that's a result of God's grace at work in them. So what I'm saying to you is when I look at you and I see your generosity, it reminds me God's grace is at work in our church family. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. Not to pat you on the back, not to pat me on the back, but just to say, God, continue to work in us. Continue to make us generous people. Okay? 2018, our budget needs were about 960000 and you gave over and above. 
You gave more than we needed from what we budgeted for the year. That's not true at every church. That's not true. Every church comes to the end of the year and says, we have money extra left over. Our people gave more than what we needed. Right? I have pastor friends. That's not true for them. And I'm saying to you as your pastor and on behalf of those who work here, we are so thankful that this has not been something we've had to to worry about over the last several years. It has not been something our finance team has had to stress over. Right? God's work in his grace, is changing us, he's using us, and one of the overflows of that is generosity. Here's our world missions giving over the last several years. It went from 79 to 25 to 40 to 56 to 76, and our total for last year was 86,655, right? Our new best at Emmanuel. And I don't put that up there to say we're number one. I put that up there to say God's grace is at work in our church family. I'm asking you to dump money in a box outside the door of the sanctuary that you'll never see again and that we'll never see again. Right? That's not an American idea. Take your hard-earned money and dump it in a box and kiss it goodbye and say, later. But you've done that. Why? Because you are passionate about God being glorified. And you know and I know that we need to send more people out with the good news of Jesus to share the gospel to, to folks who have never heard it. Again, we did this last year, but when you look at that 86,655 and you say 90% of that goes to the International Mission Board, that 90% that's going to the IMB is enough to keep one missionary family on the field for a year. That's a remarkable thing for a church our size, to give enough money to missions, sacrificially, joyfully, as an act of worship, to say we're going to keep one of our missionary families on the field for the next calendar year. They're not going to have to worry about fundraising. They're not going to have to worry about coming back and and scrounging up money. They're not going to have to worry about their needs. Their needs are going to be met, and they're going to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So I could talk about budget giving. I could talk about missions giving. Or we could be way more practical, and I could talk about the backpacks that you brought for Gonzalez. Or I could talk about the Christmas presents you bought for kiddos who weren't going to have Christmas. We could talk about the cakes you bought at the cake bake. And they were good, but they weren't that good, right? (laughs) Trust me. We could just go on and on down the list. We could talk about the groceries that we piled up just a a few weeks ago. We could talk about the shoeboxes that we packed. I'm thanking you for your generosity. And I'm not thanking you for it to puff you up. I'm thanking you for it to say, when I look at that generosity, I say, that's God at work among his people. Secondly, I'm thankful for your commitment to missions. And again, that's something that only really can be explained as God's grace at work in us. Any church, any group of people, anyone can get real excited about a short-term mission trip and go once and take a bunch of pictures and come back and we're all excited. But to sustain that over multiple years, right, to continue to send people and go That's only explainable as a work of God's grace. So last year we sent five mission teams on short-term mission trips. We had two teams that went to Kenya. Those are the two up at the top. We had a team that went to Alaska down at the bottom. We had a team that went to McKamey down at the bottom right. And then in the middle is part of the, the youth group team that went to Arlington, right? Five teams went out from our church, short-term trips, to share the gospel of Jesus. That gets me excited 
to say a church of our size, we're sending over 10% of our people on mission every year, right? Look, can I just be honest with you and unspiritual for a minute? Chris Harrington's not here, so I can say this. He, He won't frown at me. We come to the end of the year sometime, and we start talking about mission trips for the next year. And sometimes we look at each other and say, you think anybody's going to go next year? Maybe they're tired of going. Maybe they're not, no one's going to sign up. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this has run its course. Maybe it's time to, to do something else. And every year we put it before you, and every year the teams start filling up, and people start signing up, and people want to go. Right? I'm not patting you on the back. I'm saying that's God's grace at work in our church family. Now, I'm also glad Chris is not here because he'd frown at me if I gave him too much attention. But I want you to know about another example of missions within our own church. Chris Harrington has started an organization called Nourishing the Nations. Some of you know about <clears throat> excuse me. Some of you know about this. Some of you have never heard of this. Nourishing the Nations is a, a ministry that Chris and Lisa run. And it's all about feeding hungry kiddos in western Kenya, the place where we've been going regularly for several years feeding kids in western Kenya, and we do that through partnerships with churches, with with local pastors. And this isn't something that we run through the church. This is just something that Chris started on his own in addition to the trips that we take. And so every day there are hundreds and hundreds, every week, hundreds of kids in western Kenya that get a meal, they get something hot to eat, because you and other people have given money to, to feed them to provide a meal for them. We do this through local churches. Chris has set this up with some of our local pastors, and it's really a beautiful thing. Our church has made the commitment to send these teams over and to train these pastors, right? They live in western Kenya. It's more of what you might call a rural area. If you want to compare it to Texas, you think about they kind of live in the Odessa, right? All the actions happening in the Metroplex, in DFW, in Houston, in the big cities, we're out here in Odessa sort of on your own. That's what these guys are doing, right? There are missionaries in Kenya, but most of those missionaries get sent to the big cities, Mombasa and Nairobi and all these metro areas. These guys are out. They don't have access to seminary. They don't have access to training, and our church is sending teams to train these pastors and their wives and their church leaders, in theology, in the Bible, in leadership, and all these different things they need to lead their churches. And through these guys, Chris has set up this feeding ministry. It's a remarkable thing. Every time I see a picture, when he posts these updates online, I'm just blown away at what God is doing through these men. And I'm not sharing this with you to say Chris Harrington's the greatest, although I think he's the greatest. I'm saying this to you to say here's one more example of God's grace at work in our church family to do a remarkable thing. Right? A, a, a regular church, a normal-sized church like ours, helping to feed these kiddos around the world and to train these pastors of these churches to reach their communities is an amazing, amazing thing. So I'm excited about your generosity. I'm excited about missions. And lastly, I'm excited about discipleship in this church. I'm excited about discipleship. Look, I have pastor friends. We get together. One of the things we talk about is How do you disciple people? How do you really grow them? It's one thing to get people to show up in this room, but how do you really invest in them and disciple them? And when I talk to my buddies about the number of people at our church who participate in Sunday morning Bible study, Sunday school, if you want to call it that, whatever, they're amazed at the number of people who come. We have some amazing people who teach Bible study. They put the time and the preparation in every week to teach you and to disciple you. When I talk to them about the number of people who come back to our church on Wednesday night, and we're not doing anything flashy on Wednesday night, 
Right? We're not giving away TVs to the teenagers. We're not doing crazy stuff in here with the adults. We're just talking about the scriptures. That's all we're doing. We're teaching little kids Bible verses. When I talk to them about the number of people who come back, the percentage of people, it blows guys away. Right? That you have bought into the idea that we need to submit our lives to the authority of God's word. And we do that in Sunday morning Bible study. We do that on Wednesday night Bible study. We do that in ladies' Bible studies throughout the year. We do that in men's Bible studies throughout the year. We do it in one-on-one relationships that you've developed in our church family. Those things get me excited. So there's just a few things about last year, things that I'm encouraged by as your pastor. I want to talk about 2019. I just want to tell you what you can expect in 2019. I have no big bombshell for you, nothing big and, you know, here go the fireworks. You're never going to believe what's coming next. This is all pretty basic stuff. This is what you can expect. Number one, worship. Worship. When we gather together, the Word of God will continue to be the center around which we gather. It will be the authority under which we sit. We're going to submit our lives to the apostles' teaching. We're going to do that, just like these people did it, by listening to the Word of God. In a week from today, next Sunday, we're going to start a new Sunday morning series called Believe. And we're going to take the Gospel of John, and we're just going to walk through it, verse by verse, passage by passage. We're going to go really slow. I've mapped this out. I put in a few breaks just so that we don't get caught in too much routine, but we're going to end our study in John 2021, right? We're going to really dig in and say, what does this book say to us? What is it that John wants us to believe? And so that kicks off next week. We're going to be people who worship. When we gather in this room, it's not to entertain you, it's not to perform for you, but it's to invite you to participate in worship. And in the the months ahead, you may see a few more cosmetic uh, changes to the front of this room. Those are just some update things, some some upkeep things, some maintenance things. The heart of what we're doing on Sunday mornings when we gather together is still going to be worship. Number two, surprise, surprise, discipleship. Discipleship. We're going to give you opportunities in 2019 to gather together with God's people and to listen to his word. We're going to do it in Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday morning Bible study. We're going to do it on Wednesday nights when we meet. The youth are going to do it. The adults are going to do it. The kids are going to do it. We're going to do it in youth small groups from time to time. The ladies are going to do it in the ladies Bible study. Men will give you opportunities. We are going to be committed to discipleship. And I want to mention two specific pieces of this that are going to hopefully look a little bit different in 2019. One of the things we would like to do that is... Not really new, it's we used to do it and we want to do it again. We want to offer a special needs Sunday school class. Special needs Sunday school class, Sunday morning. There's a lot of kids in Odessa, a lot of families in Odessa who are underserved and that there's not a lot of opportunity in churches in Odessa for special needs families to come. And many of these families, they're with the kids all the time. It's a, it's a challenging situation for them. And so to come and to have their kids in, in an adult class or whatever is very challenging for them. Our church used to offer a special needs class, right, offered for those kiddos who matter, who are important, and for their families who we also want to be able to reach out to and disciple. 
So we want to offer this. And I'll just be honest with you. We've been praying about it. We've been talking about it. We've had a few conversations about it, me and Terry and some of our other staff members. But we're looking for the right people who can help serve in this ministry and lead this ministry. So I'm asking you this morning to make that a matter of prayer, right? Jesus told his people, told his disciples, pray that God would send people out into the harvest. Pray for laborers in the harvest. And I'm asking you to pray for that. Pray for people who can step up, whether they're in our church now or whether they're in other churches, who can lead that ministry and be involved in that. We don't want to rush into it, but we're ready to go. And we pray that God would send us those folks. Another thing we're going to do this year is something we used to do in the past, and we're going to try to do it again this summer. We're going to be looking to hire uh, two to three, maybe four, summer interns. And we're going to ask these interns to work with children. Uh, We're going to ask them to work with little bitty preschool age. We're going to ask them to work uh, with youth. And our finance team, we've we've talked about this with our finance team and our elders. We've set some money aside to hire these folks. And what we want to happen is twofold. One, we want to give some people the opportunity to do hands-on ministry, right? More than just show up on a Sunday morning and serve somewhere, but for a summer to intentionally devote themselves to serving God's people. And we want to pour into those people, right? We want to hope that God might call some of them to be missionaries or to be ministers, to go out and to serve in other places. But we also want them to invest in our young people, in our youth, in our teenagers, in our kiddos. And so again, I'm asking you to make that a matter of prayer. Pray that God would guide us to the right folks. If you know people who would be interested in that, we would love to visit with them. But we're looking to expand what we do in a discipleship sort of umbrella to include some special need kiddos and their families and also to include some interns that will serve at our church for the summer. So worship, discipleship, number three, fellowship. We're going to be together. We're going to take mission trips together. And the older adults are going to take a trip together. And the teenagers are going to go to camp together, and we're going to have a cake bake together, and we're going to have a a chili cook-off together and an ice cream contest together. We're going to give you opportunities to be together with your church family, not just the people you sit in Sunday school class with, but with all of this church family. We're going to give you opportunities to be together, and we're going to lock arms shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, and we're going to say, we have a mission to accomplish, and we can only accomplish it together, right? Our mission is glorifying God by making disciples, and we're going to do that together. Number four, ministry. Ministry. We're going to give you opportunities to serve. And if currently you don't have a place to serve in our church and you're a member here, I'm challenging you in 2019, find a place, find a way to serve. Right? Find a way to make some contribution to the health and the life and the vitality of our church family. We need people who will serve as greeters on Sunday morning. Always need greeters. We need people who will serve as ushers and walk around the facility, making sure everyone's where they need to be and no one's where they don't need to be. We need people who will teach. We need people every Sunday in the nursery. Right? The Lord has blessed our church with a remarkable number of young families, a re- remarkable number of kids down in that preschool area. If we're going to be faithful to what God's entrusted to us, we need people down there. We need volunteers. Maybe you give a, a Sunday a month. Maybe you give every other Sunday. Maybe you'd go every Sunday. But we need people who will be involved in that. We're going to give you opportunities to minister and to serve. 
we're also going to give you opportunities for our church to minister to you and to be a blessing to you. There's going to be a lot of them. I just want to mention the next one that's coming up. It's just a month away. You're probably already tired of me talking about it, but I'm going to keep talking about it, and you can just roll your eyes at me, and I'm going to keep talking. It doesn't bother me one bit. But in about a month, we're going to have a marriage conference. You know as well as I do, we live in a very difficult time when it comes to marriage. People are confused about it, what it is and what it's not. People don't understand how it works, right? Divorce is a major, major issue in our society. Unfaithfulness, social media, the internet has not helped all of this. And I'm begging you, if you're a married person or you think at some point you will be a married person, to come. I don't beg you for much. I beg you for a world missions offering. Maybe I beg you a little bit to show up to the ice cream contest because I really like ice cream. I'm begging you to come, right? It's not so that we can say, oh, look how many of us came. This is so great. I know you need to come if you're a married person. You need to be here. And if you would look at me and say, ah, ah, we don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need to be there. You guys have a good time. I would look you straight in the eye, and I'll say it from this platform, or I'll say it right in front of your face. You're either lying or you're a fool. One of the two. That's it. You need it. You need to come. We don't do it a lot. We're going to do it once a year. We're going to give you an opportunity to show up, to sit under the authority of God's word. We're not going to give you a bunch of silly stuff. right? We're going to talk about the scriptures and what it has to say about marriage. And I'm telling you, you need to come. You need it in your own home. And there's someone else you know that also needs it. And you ought to invite them and they ought to come with you. And you shouldn't say, hey, my church is doing this thing. You should go. But you should say, hey, I'm going to get online and buy my ticket. Can I buy your ticket too? And will you go with me? You may just think, well, pastor, I'm not lying to you and I'm not an idiot. Fine. But somebody you know needs to be here. And you can invite that person. And what they're going to hear is this is what the scripture has to say to husbands, to wives, to married couples, and what it means for your church. So I'm begging you to make that a priority. So we're going to be committed to worship, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, and number five, evangelism. We left off in Acts 2 with verse 47, and Luke said that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That's the sort of thing that we want to happen here. We want God to add to our number people who are meeting Jesus and people who are growing as disciples of Jesus. So when we gather together for worship and Sunday school, we're going to talk about the gospel every time. What does it mean for for a holy God to have a relationship with sinful people? How does that happen? It happens through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that over and over and over, especially as we study through the gospel of John. When we send our mission teams out, we're going to send them equipped to share the good news of the gospel. Because we want God to add to our number those who are being saved. Whether we send them across the street, whether we're training people for VBS, whether we're training people to go to Kenya, we want them to be equipped with the gospel. When we meet together to make disciples, it's going to all center around the gospel, the good news of what God has done to save us through his son. When we invest in leaders in our church, it's all going to be rooted in the gospel. Right? We want to be people committed to evangelism so that the Lord would add to our number those who are being saved. 